And then it is my privilege to introduce to you our special guest speaker this morning. This fits perfectly with what the message is. It's about generational Christianity and uh, Titus, actually Paul instructing to Titus, the need for older believers, mature believers, to invest in younger believers. It's kind of reversed because I don't know who's younger or older, me or Bob Huffman. We'll see. Um, uh, I think he's got much more youth and exuberance than I do. Um, but even in our media right now, today, we have one of our high schoolers running media this morning and stepping up and, and serving in that capacity. So I'm excited. Bob was scheduled to preach anyway with me supposedly being out of the country. So I thought, let's keep, let's keep that rolling. And so, uh, so, Bob, I called you handsome, handsome man for service. Um, I won't embarrass you and say that again. So this service, please just give your attention and listen to what the Lord has uh, through Bob as he brings and shares the word this morning. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. I think you used the word exuberant. 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 Handsome, exuberant. I don't know. I don't know what to do after that. Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody have a good week? Yep, moving forward with the Lord. Yes? Right on. Learning something a little bit about him and, and what he's doing in your life. Kind of reflect on that. That's always good good stuff. Well, uh, this, this scripture today actually includes all of us, every single one of us, whether you're an older man, older woman, younger woman, younger man, or in the, in the marketplace, we're all here in this particular scripture today. So what I'd like to do, well, first of all, some administrative stuff. You have actually some notes in your bulletin that you can just kind of tag along with me, however, whatever the Lord reveals to you as we're moving along through the scriptures. Ideally, God working today will reveal truth to you and you'll find the application in your own lives. And then on the flip side of that, of those uh, sermon notes, if you're in a life group, those are the questions that you review and you'll talk about this coming week. Pretty simple. I like that. I really like that format. So if you would just please stand with me and uh, we're going to read out of Titus chapter two, please. And I'm reading out of the NASB. Some of you may have different translations. Just they're pretty much, they're pretty close to the same. They may use different terminology. But I'll be reading out of Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Anybody need a Bible, by the way? Because there's Bibles there in the, in the back corner if you want to, want to read those. Okay, let's get going. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He's talking... Paul is talking to Titus on the island of Crete. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves 
to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Let me just pray, and we will start journeying through these 10 verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Teacher. Thank you that you've given us our word, your word, that we know is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in reverence. The Old Testament calls it fear, but in reverence for you of how mighty and incredible you are, that you are the one that gives us instruction, and you're the one that gives us wisdom and knowledge to do the right things, to be the people that you want us to be. So, Lord, lead by your Spirit today. Convict, challenge each one of us in a different way, that we would go out and be the people, the Christian people, the believers in Christ, the redeemed believers in Christ, to make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, Christ is the one who defines a new life. He is the one that sets the prisoners free. He is the one that transforms our minds and our hearts. And he is our living water that lives through us and refreshes our soul day in, day out. And... He is the one that has delivered something wonderful and beautiful to us called grace. And that grace forms our character. And on this island of Crete, where Titus has been commissioned to organize and administrate a church or churches, this transformation of character in people is making a huge difference. Jeremy has stated that the island of Crete was a messy place to hang out. There was sexual immorality. There was overindulgence. There was alcoholism. They were running rampant. In verse, uh, you you read in in the first chapter, you'll see that Paul agrees that the Cretans were considered evil beasts. Well, it's not something to be proud of. And the church was to face opposition from Jewish rabbis, from false teachers, from governing authorities, and from Greek beliefs in false gods. The church was to rise up above it all and to draw people in near to those who needed help. And the family structure was a God-ordained institution to further the kingdom. And Paul recognized that spiritual faith Christian love was linked with conduct and practice. Kind of makes, it makes sense, doesn't it? What we preach, we do. And a believer's redeemed life would shine and bear fruit for those to see and for those to taste when that believer would abide and remain in Christ. This passage here, these 10 verses our brick-and-mortar Christianity. It's Christian character 101. 
You want to find a, a description of good character? It's right here in these verses. Heroes of our faith rise up when they're humbled and they're inspired by being obedient to the Lord as a matter of, of the love for the Lord, not out of something in the law or something that's legal or something that we're keeping track of, a love relationship. And, and, and Paul says here that we are to betray our church as being real, not sort of this pretend state of perfectedness or hypocrisy or lawful dogma or noisy arrogance, but it shows Christ's love and it shows his integrity here in this church body. And holistically, what Paul is saying for the church in Crete as it applies to us today, that God impacts everything that we do. Everything. If Paul is asking Titus to stop and silence the false doctrine that's being taught at that time, then what does real doctrine teaching look like? What is distinct about the church of Jesus Christ? If you go to the verse 10, and let's like fast forward to the very end of the verse today, you will see that we are to live out our faith adorning the doctrine of God. What does that mean? The word adorn means to take the teaching, to make the teaching of God attractive. You get the word cosmetic out of this particular term. Adorning the teaching that it becomes attractive to us as believers and we're drawn to it, but also the outside world is drawn to it. Let me give you some examples. So you're headed to work. You know, it's a normal sort of work thing in the morning. It's a 10-minute shower and breakfast and, you know, helping the kids, whatever you need to do. And you're out the door and you show up at the doorstep at 8, 8.30 and you, you enter into the door and it, it like, the, the, the work environment is on fire. There's pressures, your boss is all over you. You have production standards, you got service issues, you got quality, and they're all blowing up, but you got to get it all done. And there in the work in the, in the little workstation is is a friend, dear friend of yours who's going through a divorce who needs some sort of ministering spirit. How do I do it all? Well, the day ends and five o'clock, five thirty, you're headed out the door, and someone taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, you know, you look beautiful today. It's not, it's not your makeup. It's not how good or how, how you're dressed. But I see that incredible God in you doing wonderful and beautiful work in you today. Now that's Christianity. Another example would be a teen who's surrounded by his, his friends and they want to go out drinking one night or do drugs or do something crazy and they're all around, and then they're just like, hey, let's go do this. And there's one team who says, I love the Lord. I'm saying no. And all the others are just putting pressure, and they're yanking at them, and you know how all that stuff goes, peer pressure. But he says no. 
And I would believe that there's one person in that group that would say to that teen who said no, now that's Christianity. Or what about the mothers when they get together and they start, they're around the table and they're talking about stuff and, and, the, and, and the direction of, of the conversation goes sideways and they start ragging on their husbands and they start ragging on the children. But there's one mother who says, you know something? I've had some marital issues, but man, I love my husband and I love my kids. And it just silences the conversation. And there's another woman there, another mother, who looks at that mother and says, now that's Christianity. Paul is a good mentor to Titus here. And he's telling us what the believing saints are to be and to do. Paul asked Titus this humongous task of organizing and administrating churches on this island to appoint elders, to silence false doctrine, and to to be an architect to help formulate what good, healthy character in families looks like and have the church involved in good works. It's about consistency with the truth and living it out. And Paul breaks down five groups of people here that all have worth in the kingdom. In each season, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and those who are working in the marketplace. You know, our, our, our pastor Titus here is a busy guy, just like Jeremy. A fulfilling, very fulfilling role. In verse 1, it's actually on your notes. It's, up, it's after actually the three points we'll bring up in a second. Titus is to teach sound doctrine. And this doctrine lays out character. It lays out virtue. And what Christ-like principles are to be practiced through grace, not, not law. And each gender here becomes a living testimony to the living God. And let me give you these three observations. You ready? The first observation about these ten verses You'll have these in your notes. The passing of character comes from the example of Christ and the pastor and the elders and older men who are able to mentor and coach and disciple the younger generation. Never thought about this until I started studying these verses, that Christ-like character is rooted here in Scripture. Number two, we have a healthy description of the family. Healthy description of family roles and what differentiates us from the world. Every age, every gender, every position is right here and is important in the kingdom of God. There is worth. And this comes from sound doctrine, sound teaching. And number three, our work that we do here in the church, in our families, in the marketplace is spiritual work. That we are to honor God through the things that we think about and we say and we do. We are to honor and glorify Him every day, 24-7, no matter what we're doing. We are to honor, honor Him. 
So let's start with the older guys. I'm not too sure what age that is. I'm probably there. Uh, there's no age uh, definition here, but I think I think you'll you'll definitely you'll definitely get it as we as we kind of work through the passage and, and extract the truth out of this. I'm going to ask the older guys here. You don't have to answer out loud, but where is your identity? Where is your purpose in your life? Oh, I can, I can bench press 200 pounds. I, I mean, I can't anymore, but some can. That's impressive. Is it your status? Is it the title that you have at your work? Is it your accomplishments? What is it, men? I've worked with a lot of men through the years, and I'll tell you what it is most of the time. It's our self-centered egos. Think about it. Watch a man when he becomes unemployed or retired. He often seems lost. Watch a man when he leaves his family for selfish desires. He just drifts and there's a lack of commitment and responsibility. The man becomes an empty water hole sitting in the desert heat. In verse 2, that's what we have in terms of character and virtue of an older man. But I don't see you know, good smelling cologne here. And I don't see muscular stamina here. And, and yet they do say that old guys rule. But and biblically, that is, that is correct. Think about how God used an older man like Noah and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And in the New Testament, Simeon, who blessed Jesus in the temple, or the Apostle John, an old guy who wrote three, three letters in the Gospel of John for a younger generation. I'll, I'll say, guys, that the attractiveness of a man comes when we, as older men, provide the moral and spiritual muscle in the family, that we are examples to those in the home and in the church. Cultivating and protecting our marriages is important. And being the spiritual example to children in our home is important. And the contrast in the first chapter of Titus talks about the lazy Cretans. Christians aren't lazy. I don't read that here. So the older men are to be responsible and sensible, sound in faith, Others seeing the living Christ in your life. Now, the first quality that I read in verse 2 talks about temperate. And what this word means is sober-minded. The older man has been around the block a while. He has learned many lessons that God has taught him, and he has developed wisdom over the years. And it's his responsibility the sense when Satan is knocking at the door, ready to tempt the family, ready to accuse the family, or deceive the family. And if a man's, an, an older man's head is intoxicated and flooded with self, with sex, with sinful issues, that man's head will be clouded 
so much it will not it will be very very difficult to discern the truth of God in the circumstances that come his way so men quit playing around with lust and greed and pride these six qualities in this verse speak volume of character and it's all about the choices of what an older man makes and what he has made and what he continually makes and that deserves, as the verse says, worthy of respect. And as the Bible tells us, we will make mistake. Mistakes, let me say that plurally. We will make mistakes and we'll fall flat on our face. And watch a man when he gets up and allows God's forgiveness to work through that man. That changes the man. If you look at an older man and you see soundness of faith and you see the soundness of love and patience, that's affirmation that God is at the throne of his heart. And men, it's never too late to start. Letting Christ change your, your mind and your heart to rise up to the calling that he has called you to be the leader, to be the husband, to be the father of your family and contribute to the church, that leaves a legacy. That's steadfastness to a younger generation. I have seen too many older men hang on to anger, bitterness, resentment, a complaining spirit, the chasing of riches that becomes very destructive for the family, very destructive for a wife, very destructive for children. It's never too late to change that, and God can change that, and men, you can change and adorn the doctrine of God. Last, last week, I had the honor to go with my wife to a memorial service of a dear family friend. His name was Jake Willemson. Yake is what they called him. He was a dairy farmer. He was around 85 years old. And as I sat there in this, listening to three pastors share about this man and hear the testimonies of the grandchildren, this man had 10 grandchildren, eight grandchildren, many nieces and nephews. If they stood up and testified about the character of this man, I thought, this is it. This is verse 2 of Titus. I would like to read to you some of the things from the program about this man. And think about the legacy that you will leave your children, older men. Is this the way that you want to be remembered? So Jake grew up on a dairy farm and learned how to manage his time juggling between school and work and learning the business. The dairy business became Jake's life, part of his DNA. His primary education was a school of experience and he learned family values and the value of integrity at a very young age. Jake's word was his bond and those who knew him realized quickly they had a treasured friend. Integrity, steadfastness, dignity. Jake was married to his wife 63 years and Jake and Jeanette went to the church they were members for 58 years. 
He loved his family, and his love was completely unconditional. His family considered him a great teacher of life, and his wisdom will live on throughout the generations. Jake's other passion was his love for his Lord and Savior. His faith ran deep, and those who knew him learned that quickly, for he wore his faith on his sleeve. He loved to go to church with Jeanette and sing those hymns that meant so much to him. I'm thinking sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience, sound in persistence, leaving a living legacy. I don't see here anything about how much acreage he owned or the equipment that he ran or how many cows that he took care of. It's all about character. Let's go to verses 3 and 4 about older women. I smile. You know why I smile. The women are going, "Mm mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see you get through this one. Well, older women have an equally important role. Their behavior speaks volume. Being deeply respectful to their God and to their husbands, they're good listeners, and they're not spreading gossip. They're watching their alcohol consumption. Okay, I heard that. And, and being living teachers to younger women. And it's interesting, as I studied, as I studied the word gossip, it's just the opposite of gospel. Gospel means good news. Gossip, when you look it up, in this particular context, means a devil, means an accuser. We may want to think twice before we start gossiping and ripping into the character of another person. Paul is stating to Titus that women have an important responsibility domestically in the home. Now, this is not saying that women cannot work outside the home, and all we would need to do is read Proverbs 31 to see the truth in that. But the family needs men to lead and teach, and for women, older women, to teach the younger women the living truths of God and how they apply in the home. The home is where Christian biblical truth is truly practiced. I told my family this for years. Once you close the doors and close the windows at night, that is where true Christianity is taught and caught. You know what I'm talking about. Strange things happen after the doors are closed and the windows are closed at night. Right from the family unit. So faith's foundation is the home, and the Apostle Paul knew that the temptations could flood the home, and it was critical that the family practice sound teaching. The, Christian, the older Christian woman was to train, and what this word train means was to provide instruction with good judgment. And, and church family, this stuff is, is not a man-made deal. This, didn't, this wasn't created from some 50s TV show in terms of family values. This is not old-fashioned. It is biblical, universal truth that applies to us on how to raise good, strong families with the character of each one of us 
and how that positively influences our church today. A family that prays together stays together. Setting aside a time to pray as a family, husband, wife, children. I was very impressed going to Israel with Jeremy, my wife and daughter and some others. And on a Sabbath day, everything stopped. Seriously, everything stopped. We were in Jerusalem. And I was just so impressed with, with the mother and the father and the children coming together in the hotel lobby, worshiping God, singing, praying, reading scripture together as a family unit. And I'm not saying that we go back to the law and we have to observe things in a legalistic way. But Paul is telling Titus, you know, make it a, a, a fa- the family a, a priority and pray together and worship together and read scriptures together and make it relevant to your children and pass that, that flame of faith on to a younger, younger generation. In verse 5, we have the younger women to live out a life of, of purity, kindness, and being submissive to their husbands. What does that word submissive mean? It means that the woman, the, the, the wife, is being supported of the, supportive of the man's leadership in the home. And men, you're not off the hook. Because if you're, doing, if you're fulfilling your role, and you're loving Christ, and you're treating your wife, as the scripture says in Ephesians, that you're treating your wife just as, as Christ loved the church, it's amazing how your wife will connect and respect your leadership. And young women were were taught this by the older women that the word of God would be honored in the home. The wife, mother, held an important position in the household. And in these times, she had a claim of reverence equal to the father. You know what the commandment says, honor your father and mother. And what's the promise? Prolong, louder, prolonged life. Thank you. So older women passing on the flame of faith to the younger to be that example to help motivate younger women in the faith. In verse 6, there's younger men. And I don't know if you notice this, but there's one character, there's just one for young men. And what, what is that word? It's sensible. Does that, does that sum it up for a young man? You know what sensible really means? It means self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's sensible. It's self-control. And I can testify from my own life that self-control for a young guy was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn growing up. A man's ego is on fire to prove himself, conquer something, achieve something, and let passions run wild. And the lessons always come back. If you play, you pay. My brother told me that. It's so true. For the young men who are here and you're listening, or you see this sometime else, I'm just going to challenge you that you are the future leaders 
of your home, the church. The verse speaks about being sober-minded of the things of God. And I'm going to challenge the young men. Learn how to love God first. Develop a relationship with the Savior and let His Spirit instruct you, convict you, lead you, mold you, shape you. And I know that some men here or in the first service come from fractured homes and and did not have any role model or had a very weak role model of what fatherhood and what living in the faith was all about. And so this is where we as older men pick up the pace, guys. We need to set the pace for the younger men to be examples of the Father's nurturing love for these young men in function and form. Being the example, leaving a legacy, discipling, mentoring, all this means is that the family becomes an attractive witness to the culture and to the community around us. Cretans would say in those days, look at that old man. Look how he stands and he loves under pressure. I, I can't explain it. That, that's Christianity. Or look how the young women treat and love their husbands. Wow, that, that's impressive. That, that wasn't going on back then. Wow, that's Christianity. A marriage, a family that embraces the faith is a living testimony to God that the adornment in the teaching, the doctrine of God is attractive to us and to the world around us. Titus is instructed to be an example as well to the church by his deeds, by his soundness, soundness in doctrine, with his speech. We find that gospel living strives for the right to be heard. It's about practicing what you're preaching. And Paul is telling Titus, as the pastor, don't disqualify your doctrine by doing things contrary to what you're teaching. That's a serious responsibility for a pastor and a fulfilling one. The last two verses, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, hey, the family can be an incredible witness to the world around us. But the work that we do in the marketplace can also be an incredible witness to a living God. The term bondservant meant slave. And I'm not here to talk about who's promoting slavery and who's not. I was approached by a man afterwards talking about slavery in the Civil War, and that's another discussion. But what slave and bondservant mean here is that you are a worker for a master or a boss. And the universal application, I think, is considerable. See, slaves made up actually a, a fairly high percentage of the congregations back in the day. And in fact, they were 
often more intelligent than their master. And Paul realizes that, that this slave, this bond servant, could have an incredible spiritual impact on their master. We, to our employer, what is it? Their work ethic. Their work ethic. This is what this verse talks about. These verses talk about a work ethic. He is advising to produce a work that is pleasing to God and to their masters and everything. You know, do what you're told and do it well. Don't argue, don't steal, and be a Joseph, as we find in the book of Genesis that says, be entrusted with godly work where you are. I have seen in my 30-something years of business more Christians who have deluded and destroyed their Christian witness, who claim to know Christ, but fail to produce a good work because of laziness, disrespect, or a complaining spirit. It's, it's, it's sad. We need to pray for those workers that are, that are pursuing that path of faith and trying to do what's right in the eyes of God. That the work that we do, every one of us adorns the doctrine of God. When I was on the East Coast as a manager, the, out, the, the managers from, from out of state would show up. And, and after work, we would head to the bars and to the topless clubs. I went, but I sat in the parking lot, sometimes with my Mormon friend. And can I tell you, Maybe it's because they wanted me to de- be the designated driver. It was the craziest thing. They wanted me to go with them. And I, I, I just, but I went and I stayed in the parking lot. And can I tell you that I, I really believe that spoke volumes in terms of my faith and providing an open door to share my faith as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, it's missions month. And as Jeremy had stated, missions is a 12-month endeavor. All of us become missionaries to our family and to our work. And it can be very challenging. There's no doubt about it. It can be very, very hard work. But through the grace and the strength that the Lord gives us, it can be done. Your belief in, in the living Lord and in Christ himself dictates your behavior. Your belief in the living Christ dictates your mission's work in terms of what you do 24-7. Adorning the doctrine of God, drawing people in because of what you believe and how you behave. Can Can you imagine if Christians would just follow Paul's advice, how transforming that would be to our business world. So Paul, teach us. Teach us from Titus. Teach us from your other letters that we would listen and conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel. 
Philippians 1.27. Whatever you do at home, at church, on the job, in your neighborhood, do heartily for the Lord. That's Colossians 3.23. Let Christ work through you to show the world there is a greater love to be shown. I'm going to ask you three questions and then we'll pray and we'll dismiss. And here they are and they're on your notes. First question up. Examine where you are. Examine your role. What's your character like? What sort of virtues are you just bearing for others to see? To draw people near to the Christ that's working in you day in and day out. And if you're misaligned or you're, you're off on a crazy detour, come back. Come back. God allows U-turns. That's all right. He has probably allowed thousands of U-turns in my life. But come back and pray. Seek forgiveness. Let him cleanse you and on to a new day. Number two, very simply, do you pray as a family? Together as a family. Make it a priority to pray. Husband, wife, children, together. I'm not going to set any time. I'm not going to set any date. That's entirely up to you and your family. Talk about the relevancy of the things that are going on in your life, at work, at school, in the neighborhood. What you can do to pray for those in need. And number three, are you being mentored? Are you being discipled? Are you a mentor? Are you a discipler? Is there someone that you can personally help grow and mature in the faith? You don't have to be perfect to do this. And, and the fact that you're considered a saint in, as a Christian, as a believer, and that you're pursuing the Christian life is the only thing that's necessary to come alongside and coach somebody and help them grow in their faith. And I will highly recommend that if you're looking for someone, look to your family first. Husbands, are your wives growing, thriving spiritually under your leadership? Are the children growing in their faith? It's not the church's responsibility, folks. It's family. The church will come alongside and help and equip you to get there and assist you and come along and, and pray for you. But when those doors are closed and the windows are closed, that's where it's taught and that's where it's caught. Let's pray. Lord, you're an awesome God, and I don't know where this message is going to go. All I know is it's your, it's your truth, and I know there's, app, there's tons of application here. And you're going you're gonna to work in each person's heart and mind in terms of what do I do and how do I do this and that sort of thing. I just pray they would seek you in prayer and just, it's just come to know you more, more personally and, and, and draw near to you to find strength and wisdom and discernment to be the people that they need to be. And, and we're not big old redwood trees all at once. It takes time to grow in character and virtue. This is something to strive for. Help us to, to be accountable to our wives and husbands and, and to our children. Help us to pursue that goal. Not, not thinking.
not the stuff that lies behind, but the things that are ahead of us, the promises ahead of us. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And help us to be the the men and women and the workers that you want us to be, to just be this incredible living testimony to you, Lord, that people would draw near to, to you through our belief and our actions. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.